I have never met anyone yet who didn't show up for work without the intention of being successful. The only time that fails is when there isn't a motivation to help. And I think that's the biggest challenge we have as leaders. So when you're setting yourself up to keep people on board, my encouragement to everyone is tee yourself up for success at the very beginning. Begin with the end in mind, but you've got to begin at the beginning. Welcome to This is Rural Health, a podcast from the California State Rural Health Association. The CSRHA is focused on ensuring that the needs and voices of rural Californians are expressed and heard and is continually working toward improving the quality and length of life of rural Californians. This podcast brings together leaders in rural healthcare with policy advisors, community leaders, and other forward thinkers to gain a better understanding of what's happening across today's rural healthcare ecosystem. Each week, you'll hear the unique perspectives of industry and community leaders and how they're finding innovative solutions to the challenges of a rapidly changing and increasingly complex healthcare industry. So welcome back to This is Rural Health. In part two of our Finders Keepers series, we are going to do a deep dive into physician retention with Deborah Wiggs of V2V. And Deb, take it away. Okay. Thank you very much, Scott and Regina. And just building upon the first podcast that Regina predominantly spoke about, the Finders side of Keepers. So much of the finder's side is a building, it's thinking of it from a building block perspective, or I live up um, in Bellingham, Washington, so I'm not in California, and I live on the water, and I've um, actually run a couple of hospital districts on islands in the middle of Puget Sound, Lopez Island and San Juan Island, and I've also supported hospital districts, which we consider to be the rural part of our world in Washington State on the east side of the state as well. And it's keeping a perspective on just the environment that you're in. And so much of retention and the keeping of physicians and other allied health professionals is the mindset that you have of keeping its mentorship, citizenship, and friendship. And it's the perspective that you can keep when you're doing this. And this is, again, part of some of the great things that Regina talked about in terms of culture within your organization. Have you built a culture that engages people in the ownership of the organization as a community? Um, I've just used a lot of words with the, that ended with ship, and it just occurred to me that you may have a whole fleet that you need to build around this to be successful, not only in recruiting folks to your community, but also in keeping them there. So the three ships we're going to talk about today the most are mentorship, citizenship, and friendship. The first one, mentorship, and this is probably the place where onboarding starts and identifying someone in your organization. And if this is a one doc town, um, obviously, hopefully that position is still there. But if not, there's got to be some folks in your community that are considered sort of the community leaders. They should be invested in the success, the physician or other practitioner coming to your community just as they would for someone coming in to lead the school system or the church community. I'll tell you that blessed to have a father who is a banker in the communities. And he always said that the three most valuable things a community can have is healthcare, education, and a spiritual life. And so as a community, being one of those three legs on the stool is incredibly important. And so your role in helping your community be successful is around engaging the whole community in helping to get people to stick. So talk to people, ask them how they can be a part of the solution. Um, when I went to uh, Friday Harbor back in the early 2000s, 
Some of the first people that I talked to over there were folks in, quite frankly, their law enforcement was a big part of my responsibility around EMS and fire control along with the hospital district. I also talked with folks whose families had been on the island for years and years and years. And we really talked about what we needed to do to help the community be successful. That gets people sort of getting skin in the game. It's hard these days because we're such a mobile society for folks to feel connected. And one of the things I always challenge folks in the community is to not expect osmotic understanding or connection. That idea that people are just going to naturally come in and fit into some place is highly unlikely and unusual. And when we go back and talk to folks who've left a community for one reason or another, I don't have any profound statistics around this, but I will tell you that my gut numbers are that the majority of them will say that they didn't ever feel connected. So if you can start to figure out ways to make links for that individual into the community that aren't just about their profession, you've made a huge stride forward. So in identifying folks to be mentors, be sure that you're also specific with them about what you're expecting. For the most part, when you think about it from a professional perspective, initially you're thinking mentorship in terms of clinical. How do we do things around here? Someone who's willing to sit beside someone shoulder to shoulder initially and work through your medical record system. Someone who's willing to talk about where do we keep these supplies? It's, you know, sometimes there's institutional knowledge that has to be pushed out that folks just don't know about. Because of the nature of the individuals who are typically physicians to begin with, Highly skilled, knowledge-based workers are what most physicians are identified as. And the characteristics of those individuals are that they are very skilled in a very deep amount of information, but they are not necessarily broad in their experience on how to do the rest of the world. It makes them very good at being physicians, but that's what where the role of a lot of times of administration and other allied folks come in is alongside these folks. The other thing about knowledge-based workers is they tend to be very good at working independently, which as a physician, when you're holding someone's quote-unquote heart in their hands, you want them to be that way. But as a rule, then they are more challenged because they've got all of this very information and knowledge and awareness of the rest of the things. And it is difficult to ask those questions because our culture also says that, you know, there's a hierarchy or caste system within healthcare that doesn't encourage them to seek out information. So tee yourself up for their success. And I think that's something you can do. And you can teach that to your community as well, recognizing that these are people just like we are. So the mentorship role is to come alongside someone to walk in their footsteps and help them to be successful. The second role of mentorship is is just the practical stuff of how we get things done. And I mentioned that just a little bit earlier. The next way that you get folks engaged and connected is in citizenship. And in a small rural environment, that has two labels. The first is citizenship within the organization. Where do you need them to participate in more than just the prescriptive responsibilities of being a care provider? How can they use their expertise to forward their role in the community and support of your organization? Help them to help you is how I like to think about it. Take advantage. Some folks really love to engage with kids in the school system or in community education or being part of a service organization. Those are all things that can be value-added experiences for them as well as for the organization. Now, the thing I also know about these two things I've just talked about, mentorship and citizenship is they add value to the work experience. As long as it's not overburdening, where they become the only, the ever, the never, the only chance of 
the one. That's not fun for anyone. But the top four things that we all know are important to an organi- uh, an employee before pay is the fact that they feel valued and recognized and respected, that they're mentored and they're inspired to work smarter. In a rural environment, I find frequently, you know, it's being able to take care advantage of technology. Not everyone is a technophobe in, you know, we talk about it jokingly, but a lot of rural communities are actually far more technology advanced than some of even large mid-rural communities or metropolitan areas. So encourage them to help you. It's a great thing you have as a crucible to try out things and new ways of doing things that maybe will enhance and optimize the care that you're able to deliver. Be sure to engage people in those places where they build then relationship, because that's essentially what the last thing we're talking about, which is friendship. Finding those folks in your area, in your community, who can get people connected to where they start to build friendships, not just for the individual who's the employee or the physician, but for their extended family as well. Are there families like this family that can help make a connection for the newcomer to the community? That's another one of those things that can be so amazing in rural communities is that way of making that connection. And that has highly valuable to folks sticking for a long period of time. You get them engaged in making a connection and helping them to feel like they belong to the community. If you have a good old boys club and as a, you know, it doesn't matter gender so much because I know quite a few good old girls clubs around out there is that you, you challenge them, you know, to engage with folks, make it their opportunity to broaden their horizons. And for some folks that, you know, they tend to be in rural communities because they like to be by themselves or they are just were raised that way. So you do have to be creative about it. But there's a lot of different activities that you can do or things you can have happen to start to build some of those relationships. Another interesting thing to do as part of your discovery process for onboarding is to understand the personality of the person that's coming on board. And there's several tools that can help you figure that out objectively. Um, You can get in touch with me if you want some names of those resources. I've used a very simple tool, just it's called communication characteristics. It isn't formal, but it helps you to identify how folks like to be communicated with and how you can communicate with them effectively. And that is a great way to start off understanding someone from their perspective. Um, You know, there's the golden rule, which we all, you know, do unto others as we would have done unto us. Well, I also know there's a platinum rule, and that's do unto others as they would have done unto them. So the idea being that you're looking at things from their perspective, not your own. And I know that's a challenge. In a lot of environments we're in, we become somewhat insular and narrow in our thinking just by virtue of what's going on around us. And I like to challenge folks when I'm doing mentoring and leadership is to really challenge folks to think beyond their programming, as I like to say, to push past the envelope and get excited about what's going on. Your comments on communication really hit home. We're working with a uh, practice administrator looking, a medical practice administrator looking for a new job. And one of his biggest frustrations is that the physician partners will only communicate by text. They won't email and they don't have board meetings. And he finds it very difficult to grow, improve, to push the organization forward (laughs) through a text. So, I mean, that's a whole nother podcast that we can get into because I immediately jumped to an opinion on that, but I will withhold myself because that's not the topic of this particular conversation. But I do think that it's one of the things that, again, I use the term osmotic, an expectation of osmotic understanding, which is 
if I think it, therefore you shall know it. And the other phrase that I, and that is a phrase I coined years and years ago, and I challenge myself on that all the time. You know, the assumption paradigm will get you in trouble every single time. Do not assume anything. And you'll be pleasantly surprised by what you're able to help someone do and grow and move past all the time. The other phrase I've coined, and and we use this in V2V a lot, is filling the gap between think it done and get it done. Everybody can think things done, and it seems very simple and straightforward. Well, if just da-da-da-da-da-da, and there we would be. When you get the realization of the gap that's needed to be filled, it can't be done typically by one individual, which is why I so encourage you all to be reaching out to your communities to be part of the solution. I am fascinated by how you know, the telephone network and, you know, what is it used to be the game people played telephone. Now there's the telephone game that can really mess up a message, but there's also the telephone game network that where you can actually get things done by phone trees, kind of a thinking where you're giving people and helping them be part of the solution. So don't feel that you're insulated as just the healthcare part of the community. Again, back to my dad's premise that it's not just you and your hospital or medical group system. It's the whole community that will make your community successful. So I think that one of the things that will also, when uh, Regina was talking about content and the importance of teeing you guys up for success, the people who will help you do that and make sure they're on board. We throw around the word transparency all the time and we don't do it very well. I think that the only time you have to be mindful of not being transparent is if there is a safety issue. Otherwise, the more you can share and be honest about and straightforward and what you're needing and looking for, the more likely you're going to get to success quicker. So usually that's my caveat for why I do or do not talk about something is only as it relates to awareness of safety. Otherwise, I'm an open book and I think everyone else should be as well. I think there's no power in holding and withholding information, quite frankly. So um, just keeping those perspectives, as I'm talking right now, many, many of my rural communities that I've worked in come popping into my head, and I can see those people today. And so many amazing caregivers are out there right now working very hard and diligently to get the job done. They want to be successful. I have never met anyone yet who didn't show up for work without the intention of being successful. The only time that fails is when there isn't a motivation to help. And I think that's the biggest challenge we have as leaders. So when you're setting yourself up to keep people on board, my encouragement to everyone is to yourself up for success at the very beginning. Begin with the end in mind, but you've got to begin at the beginning. So with that, I hope this has been a helpful set of uh, tools for you all. And it's been a fun time to talk and think I have all of you guys out there listening in my head right now. And I'm hopeful that you're being incredibly successful in your recruiting because there are people out there who do want to come and help you. It's got to be incredibly challenging right now, you know, especially for the last, it feels like forever, but the last, you know, 14, 16 months. Yeah, it's being referred to now 2021 as the great resignation. Uh, There's so many unhappy employees. And I think it's like 58% of people are looking for jobs. It's, It's just unbelievable. But Deb, I have a question for you. Are you working with organizations that use an exit interview to help do a better job with their onboarding and retention? 
So yeah, I'm a huge fan of exit interviews. Um, the only, again, back to the only time that those aren't typically not appropriate have to do with if, you know, someone, it's, it's not a safe thing to do for a legal reason or any other safety issue. But at the end of the day, even calling up people who were employed, you know, two or three years ago and just saying, hey, you know, we're looking to make some changes. And I think that's probably the biggest thing. I can encourage leadership. If you are struggling right now today to breathe, my flippant response is grab a snorkel. But that snorkel is typically finding other people and being able to talk with them and engage with them, which is what I believe the organizations like CSRHA. But you've got to choose to change your own mindset first. If you're finding yourself defeated and not thinking, then my challenge to you is, is to reframe your own thinking first. It's sort of like that whole thing, you got to put your own oxygen mask on first before you can help others around you. It's very, very true. And so assuming that I'm talking to leaders in your various organizations right now, I assume that you are really, really challenged. And the only thing I can tell you, having been there in different circumstances myself, is to take time to first find your own oxygen mask or snorkel. And then and, it, you know, through this organization or many uh, you know, other ways to do that, you can start to then see more clearly. There's a whole discussion around oxygenating your brain. I don't know if I just went off on a riff there for you, Regina, but as far as exit interviews, they can be incredibly insightful. You do have to be mindful of who you're talking to and what the experience and exposure was. But there's a lot of folks that will leave and you never hear from them. You don't even know they were gone. Those are the folks you really want to talk to. And do you know, on the recruitment side... There are a lot of people, and Scott, you included this in your introduction, there are a lot of people who grew up in those communities, uh, and they went off to the big city. And I am just delighted every time we have someone respond and say, I grew up there. It's time to go home. So that networking that Deb mentioned is hugely important. Quite frankly, Regina, you just hit a button. I meant to say something when you're in the presentation around finders is honestly, don't look to graduates coming straight out of residency. You want that person who's been in practice in the last at least five to seven years. If you can you know, be honest about that, somebody fresh out of medical school or residency, excuse me, it's unusual for those folks to, to be able to be successful in a rural environment in this day and age. Now, the flip side of it is, is if you can take advantage of technology and start building technology relationships and connections, that helps. To my advice is look for the season, you know, those mid-careerist folks are going to be far more likely. And late career in their last five to 10 years. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They want that quieter pace, maybe, you know, shift back to move back to be closer to family and things like that. I'm glad that the solution isn't just throw more money at it, right? I mean, too often people say, well, I've got all this money. That should clearly be the way that we keep people around. And in you know the work that I did with our board president, Dr. Hawkins, in looking at dental and dental retention, um, even though we're, we're not talking about that specifically, so many people cited in that exit interview that the reason that they left was no room for advancement didn't feel that they belonged, unclear about the company culture and how to be successful in that kind of social element. And, you know, it's, I think it's so telling that, that you're three ships, right? And the Regina with, you kind of have to advertise and woo, and it's not just, here's your comp and salary and benefits. And it's this other personal part that, you know, the company culture and the community. The assumption is, is you're paying a, a competitive wage. And I get kind of annoyed 
since I've worked in a lot of hospital systems as well, is that you just describe the assumption frequently. And to those of you listening from that environment, I really challenge you to think about the experience, not the compensation. Yes, because as Deb mentioned, and I've seen in so many studies, compensation is like fifth or sixth on the list. Yeah. Being appreciated. And rural communities have a very difficult time competing for new graduates out of their residency or fellowship programs because they're two hundred to four hundred thousand dollars in debt, which in many rural communities would buy a house. So the thing that they're looking for and a friend's son graduated from an OBGYN residency and he went to work in Chicago six or eight years, and then he came home because he had so much educational debt. And if you can't offer a significant amount of educational loan repayment, then stay away from the new grads. Right. Well, and and there are a number of programs out there that any savvy healthcare system should aspire to be a part of to get themselves designated, you know, under NHSC for a rural loan repayment and things like that. Those can be very attractive. That's a great point. If you aren't able to to be a part of that, that could be a differentiating factor between you and another healthcare provider. What's really funny about this conversation the last hour that we've been having is, I don't know if either of you have watched this show on sci-fi called Resident Alien, but the main character is literally an alien from another planet who is trying to fake it as a small town doctor. And all of the different things that we've been talking about, they apply perfectly. He, you know, it's not until the last episode that he really feels like he's part of the community and that they've really accepted him because he's integrated in with the education side and the law enforcement, you know, like all of these different pillars of the community, even though behind his disguise, he is an alien from a different planet. And it's just this small town in Colorado. And as I'm, you know, hearing you guys talk about all these things to attract and retain, I'm thinking, man, they should have done that in that show. Yeah. Well, and see, and that's irony is, I mean, that kind of is the kind of thing I, we don't need to keep talking about television. But the point of it is that that's the point is make people feel like they belong and they will far exceed expectations. Don't give them the time, you know, stay in your own little nuclear world and you'll have a churning revolving door. I've watched it happen too many times. So um, there. I would just like to thank both of you so much for coming on and doing this as our two-part episode that we've done. Uh, If this is your first episode, folks, that you're tuning into, I would strongly encourage you to go back. This is season two, episode two. Go back and check out season two, episode one for the first half. It will make much more sense. Regina, if folks want to learn more about you and the work that you do, they should go to levisonsearch.com. Yes, that would be great. And Deb, we're at v2vms.com, Vision to Vision Management Solutions. Again, I can't thank you both enough. Thank you so much for taking the time to help recruit and retain rural providers. Our pleasure. It's a pleasure. This is Rural Health is the official podcast of the California State Rural Health Association and is made possible by the generosity of our members. Our producer is Noelia Sanchez at Noteworthy Lab. To learn more about the CSRHA or to become a member, visit us at csrha.org. If you have a suggestion for a future guest or topic for the show, email us at podcast at csrha.org. To make sure you don't miss any future episodes, please be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast and to follow us on Twitter at Podcast. Thank you so much for your continued support of the California State Rural Health Association. 
This is Rural Health. It's copyright 2021 by the California State Rural Health Association. To find out more about the CSRHA, visit us at csrha.org.